Welcome to History Notes, a podcast from the Greensboro History Museum, where we are making history by talking history. History Notes is created by the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum, located at 130 Summit Avenue, Greensboro. History Notes intends to provide instructional resources for our area educators and content for all learners both in and out of the classroom. From K-12 to graduate-level students, teachers, administrators, and the overall community, History Notes is for you. Let's examine the individuals, trends, and events that have helped shape who we are today. And don't forget to take notes. It's now time for History Notes. And thank you for joining us for another edition of History Notes. I'm your host today, Rodney Dawson, uh, Curator of Education for the Greensboro History Museum. And today's guest is Dr. Allison Fredette. Dr. Fredette earned her Ph.D. in American History from the University of Florida back in 2014 and has taught in the History Department at Appalachian State University since that time. Professor Fredette uh, has published in the West Virginia History, a journal of regional studies, and she has edited in collections on the historical perspective of marriage and the new perspectives of emancipation. She teaches society and history, American history, and women in American history, plus one class that I, I wouldn't mind taking, controversial issues in the classroom and museums. So joining us from Boone, North Carolina, please welcome Dr. Allison Fredette. Dr. Fredette, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. All right, you know, I did do a small bit of research, and Dr. Fredette, did you also serve, or do you also serve as Director of Gender, Women's, and Sexuality Studies at App State? No, I wish. Oh. <laughs> um, no, I um, I'm a faculty affiliate of the Gender and Women's Studies Department, um, but primarily I'm a faculty member in the History Department. So. Okay, understood, understood. All right, here's the important question: How's the football team doing this year, or how do they look? I think they're doing pretty good. I have a few of them in my general education courses, so. Um, the good news is, scholastically, they seem to be doing great. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> now, by the time this podcast airs, uh, it'll probably be well into the football season. So just want folks to understand this was recorded right uh, in week one of uh, the college football season for 2019. Um, but you seem like an interesting, very interesting, fascinating, fascinating person, Dr. Fredette. Um, did want to ask, where are you from? Uh well, I've I've lived in actually five different states, um, so I've I'm mostly consider myself from West Virginia. I moved there when I was eleven. Uh, I grew up there, uh, went to high school there. I have an undergraduate degree and a master's from West Virginia University. But before that, I lived in Orange County, California, um, and okay. I was born in Bloomington, Indiana. So I've I've kind of lived all over. <laughs> you have have indeed. Now tell me this: What do you like most about living uh, in or around Boone, North Carolina? Uh, it's beautiful. Okay. Um, I th- yeah, I think that it it's allowed me to get back to the mountains. Um, I really love living in the Appalachian Mountains. I think they are beautiful. I love the small town mm-hmm. life. Um, I like living close to places like Asheville and Greensboro and Winston-Salem and Charlotte. But I like also escaping to the small town um, in Boone. All right. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. All right, Dr. Fredette, um, you've touched on it a little bit, but tell us about your background and your specialties in history education. As an undergraduate, I was a secondary education social studies major, and I took courses in history, political science, sociology, geography, uh, before ultimately focusing in history. 
I also took graduate level courses in curriculum and instruction. So when I came to Appalachian State, I was really excited to start working with the history education program, which is housed in the history department here. When I started uh, trying to find a place for myself here, I really decided that I wanted to focus on how to teach controversial issues mm-hmm. and how to make uh, curriculum more inclusive. So those are my kind of goals as, uh, as a teacher of teachers um, and what I focused on here. Now, controversial uh, topics, why was that so important for you? I you? think that was something that I always... It basically was something that I felt as a teacher when I went into the classroom, I felt was really important to talk about, but gave me a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to find a way to talk to the history education majors and give them techniques and content that would enable them to teach those controversial issues, but not have that stress and anxiety that I had felt myself as a teacher. So to kind of better prepare them as they went into the classroom. And it was something that the students themselves were bringing up more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And that's a, it's a sensitive subject and that I find that um, in a lot of classrooms, and this is uh, kind of um, I'm throwing a curveball here, forgive me. Um, <laughs> how do you elicit that confidence in a teacher? Uh, and let's say I know you have, uh, I think it's, it's been a while since I looked up the stat, but it's somewhere around 86, 88 percent of the teachers in public schools today are uh, Caucasian uh, females. Mm-hmm. Yet, mm-hmm. Uh, if you combine African-American and Hispanic Latino uh, students, you're looking at about 52, 54 percent of the students that they're teaching. And so if you're teaching a, a controversial subject that includes race or has a racial dynamic to it, how do you walk that fine line or how do you equip those teachers to walk that fine line? And it can be in the in the reverse as well. But tell us a little bit about that. I think just being prepared and having read deeply on the subjects. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no way for these mostly white teachers, as you said, to suddenly be able to live the experience of a person of color. That is impossible. And they shouldn't act like they can, but they can still go into the classroom understanding their own biases and their own privilege and using that to then read the documents more closely, to read the literature more closely and try to think from other perspectives, understand or use other perspectives in the classroom. Okay. Now, if I'm a student in that class, um, what is that class like for me or, or how do you prepare for that? Uh, the class is a lot of fun, I would say, first of all. Okay. Um, it's been very popular here. I think that it is a class that has a lot of work. Um, the reading level is very high. We basically come in every day and we, we run it like a seminar. They have The students have readings that are usually split between readings on content. So if we're doing, say, a week on race and white supremacy, They'll read major articles by historians on uh, some issue dealing with race or white supremacy, say the history of the KKK or something like Mm -hmm. that. And they will come prepared to talk about that. But then they'll also often have an article from an education scholar or even from a kind of trade publication, something like The Atlantic, that talks about how to teach that. Um, And so we come and we sit and we, we literally make a circle and I try as much as possible to step back and okay. um, 
be on a level playing field with them. And I try to treat it as a situation where we are all learning together how to be teachers. I, I joke with them a lot that I am both treated as an expert in controversial issues, but yet also I still feel that I am learning how to teach controversial issues. So I try to be kind of open and honest with them about the fact that I am learning it as well. And we kind of teach each other. They tell me what they've experienced and what they might do, and I do the same thing. Okay. Well, I'm going to use your expertise since I have you here for the podcast. Um, uh, I didn't teach history, but I, I taught media study, or I was a media specialist in K-12 and talk technology, but I would often um, incorporate some social justice factors or historical factors into my um, lessons, even when I was teaching technology, just because I had a passion for history. Um, but we just recently had a program uh, where we brought in the author of the book um, uh, Best of Enemies, uh, uh, Race and Redemption in the New South, and it was turned into a movie starring uh, Samuel Rockwell and Taraji P. Henson uh, recently, and uh, he the book, when I, we had the podcast and we had a program at the museum and we had quite a few educators there. And so we had one educator who was at a local high school and we had a brief conversation about how to utilize that book, um, uh, Best of Enemies, in her classroom. Uh, now, this would be a high school classroom. So would you, uh, the subjects that you're teaching, could you advise or would you recommend that it be taught on the K-12 or the high school level? And if so, uh, should it be a, uh, an advanced reading class or, or how would you recommend it for the educators that listen to do that? To do my course, the teaching history or, or just teaching controversy? Teaching controversy, yes. I would think that this course is actually probably better equipped for the way I've set it up mm -hmm. for um, a higher education platform. But okay. I think it could certainly be tweaked very easily and go into a high school. So I think that the way I've set it up is a lot of, um, it's a split between content and approach. But I think if you wanted to break out the, the educational components, the pedagogy, you could certainly do something like this in a classroom. Um, I think that you could focus the top, like do the different topics every week, do race, white mm -hmm. supremacy, gender, sexuality. It would be something where I think the advantage of this class is that it is an elective here, and I think if you did it in high school, it would also be an elective. And so you're going to have students who take that class knowing they're going in, they're talking about controversial issues, they're willing to open up, they're willing to engage in debate, um, they're not afraid of that. And I think then that could be really, really exciting and useful in a high school classroom. I think so, too. And uh, uh, I've told this story often, so I'll make it brief, but I didn't tell Dr. Fredette that uh, as a former educator, I used to dread doing lesson plans. So when I took the job as curator of education at the uh, Greensboro History Museum, uh, I decided to find tools that could make it an easier life for the for the classroom teacher. And so that's what this podcast it was designed for, for teachers to build a lesson plan or supplement a lesson plan around. And it's for K-12 educators as well as um, uh, instructors at institutions of higher learning. Um, so our primary target audience are, is the educator. So that's why I'm asking that question with that focus. Um, and then also for museum staff, you know, we have teachers and museum curators that um, – are looking for narratives to build uh, exhibits or, or to build exhibits around, uh, particularly ones that are disregarded in history. So we know about some of the stories that are that are well known. But how can curators and and teachers actively include narratives that 
are disregarded in in history? I think the biggest thing is that both teachers and museum educators need to be really intentional about how they create lesson plans and create exhibits. They need to sit down and literally ask questions like, who is this lesson plan for? Who is this exhibit for? Whose story am I telling? Hmm. Whose story am I not telling in this? And just think, how can I create an exhibit or a lesson plan that is more inclusive of more voices? Um, I think, as we kind of talked about at the beginning of the podcast, Mm -hmm. we need to think beyond ourselves. Um, I think we need to think, as you mentioned, 80% of K through 12 teachers are white. So they need to think, what are the students in my classroom? Just as a museum educator needs to think, Mm -hmm. what is the community that I am creating this exhibit in? Um, Instead of thinking only from their own personal perspective. Okay. I also think that we need to be more creative. I often hear from my students in the controversies class, well, the standards say X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And I think that especially high school teachers need to think of the standards as a jumping off point rather than a checklist. And so I think that that will enable them to include a broader range of voices and stories if they can both start with that as a jumping off point, but also interpret them a little bit differently than than they have been necessarily. I recently listened to a professor explaining that she teaches a standard that says students should understand how colonists resisted the British in the years before the revolution. And she says, basically, most people would teach that as you know, the Stamp Act protest, mm-hmm. the, what we've traditionally learned. Right. And she says, but colonists includes enslaved African-Americans. So how can I look at resistance amongst enslaved Africans in this same scenario? And I think that all the time as a Southern historian, how often people see the word Southerners and don't, and read it white. So thinking again about the language of the standards and how we can be more diverse and inclusive in how we think about that language as well. Okay. Uh, thank you for that answer. When you're preparing teachers... Um, to teach controversial controversial subjects, uh, you can open up a can of worms when you when you walk down that road. So, um, do you talk to your students about when they're embarking on a subject matter, and then they may have a student take a offense to something or take issue with some the way something is taught? Um, how best to handle that? I think in a lot of ways. Unfortunately or fortunately, the best way to handle it is before it happens. I think we need to prepare at the beginning of the year for the fact that we are going to talk about issues that are going to be controversial and students are going to take offense or their parents will take offense. Mm -hmm. And we need to prepare ourselves by first almost creating both. And you can actually do this in either a high school classroom or in a museum, almost preparing a statement that you kind of put out to your your students on the first day or in a museum saying, this is my approach to history. I think history is is a topic where we're going to talk about conflicting perspectives and we will not always agree about it. I encourage that. I ask that you be respectful. So you kind of laid the groundwork right away for saying when that comes up, you can say, well, let's remember, this is how you know, history is going to be, then I think you also look at your unit plans, your lesson plan, your curriculum map, or your exhibit, if you're a museum curator, and just using common sense, know 
considering what your classroom is like, what your subjects are like, be prepared for when that is coming up. Talk to other um, people working in the museum. Talk to other teachers at your school about what they've experienced in the past, what they've done. Make sure you've got administrators there mm-hmm. backing you up. So use all of those resources so that when that happens, you're not reacting, but you're rather being proactive. You're prepared. You have your philosophy to defend. You can use the standards to say that this is something I'm supposed to be teaching. And you can also go back and have, you know, administrative support. Administrators are much more likely to support you if you've brought them in before you've introduce the controversy then afterwards okay um i'm taking notes i planned on taking notes just so i could go back to it during the interview but you got me taking notes on how to do my job better so (laughs) i appreciate that i'm getting professional development out of this Um, like i said we're all learning there you go lifelong learners i'm gonna try and get a couple more questions in before we take a a brief break um you touched on it a little bit earlier but can you give us some, some examples of uh controversial subjects that you've dealt with in your class we, you did mention white supremacy, and what about some other ones that um, we may not know until it actually happens that it was it, it elicits some controversy? Well, I mean, the topics I, t- I focus on for the class itself broadly are we talk about race and white mm-hmm. supremacy. We talk about gender identity, sexuality, and sex, period. Uh, we talk about immigration, mm-hmm. politics, genocide, war, protests. Mm-hmm. And religion. Those are the, the the big ones that we hit on. I joke with my students that basically at the first day I say this class is going to focus on everything you're not supposed to talk about around the Thanksgiving table. Right. So, and we're going to do it. Um, but I think for me, what I tell people, because people ask me a lot, what makes something controversial? The biggest thing I would say is how it relates to current events. Mm-hmm. I think. At any moment, something could be controversial that I didn't even think two weeks ago was controversial because it has come up now in our current political environment. Right. And so I think that it's hard because I would never tell a teacher or a museum curator, don't make history relevant to modern day, because I think that is something that students learn from. It's useful. It's good history. But I don't think that we should be cavalier about how we relate it to the modern day. And I think that we should often allow that to students to find that interpretation themselves rather than putting it in there for them. But so basically, I mean, that's what I say to people. If we went into a classroom and I I just started talking about Irish immigration in the Mm -hmm. 1840s and nativism, that in itself might not be that controversial. But if I then link that in some way to con- our current debates over immigration, right. it suddenly would become much more radioactive. Understood. I see that. I see that happen all the time. Um, now, how do you find your content? What resources do you utilize to, to back up your lessons? Or can you recommend some places, some websites where uh, educators can go um, regarding um, controversial con- controversies in history? Yeah. Um, so I think that the AHA, the American Historical Association, mm-hmm. they have a magazine for educators, K through 12 and at higher education perspectives in history. They have had a number of special issues on teaching controversial issues that I have found really helpful. I've used a lot of the articles in my controversies class. 
And they're doing actually more. They're, they've now had two different teaching history um, conferences. So I think they're doing a lot more. And they're a really, really good source. Uh, I also use Teaching Tolerance, which okay. is uh, from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Right. They have lesson plans. They have, a, they have podcasts. They're a fabulous resource uh, that I highly recommend people use. I, I know that I've, I've currently been listening to their podcast on teaching hard history that focuses on slavery specifically. Okay. And it's a really great resource for anyone to use. All right. I didn't know about that one. Oh, it's, it's yeah. fabulous. <laughs> and then the last one I use is there's another one that's similar to teaching tolerance called Facing History and Ourselves. All right. Both teaching tolerance and facing history, they have lesson plans. They describe various techniques that people can use, like fish bowls, big paper exercises that are really simple for teachers to use, but that help with teaching controversy and kind of diffusing tension in classrooms. All right. But they also have newsletters that you can mm-hmm. subscribe to. So they're a really great resource. Fa- uh, I was fascinated. You said facing history and ourselves. Yes, and, uh, facing I, history and ourselves. What caught me was the ourselves part. Um, yeah. Do you find that uh, maybe some folks won't teach a certain subject because they uh, may elicit feelings of guilt or subjects that they just, they just as an educator, don't want to deal with? Yes, I've definitely found that. I've found that people don't want to teach something because they feel guilt. I've found that people don't want to teach things that they just think will be too controversial, mm-hmm. like, they just don't want to deal with the blowback. And I've also found that people don't want to teach issues because they don't, their personal beliefs diverge right. from them. I know that the first time I taught this class, I told my colleagues afterwards that the most controversial issue that came up was LGBT history because it was the only one where I couldn't, ha- not everyone in the class agreed that it should even be taught at all. I had two students in the class who said, we should not be teaching LGBT history. And whereas other ones like immigration, everyone agreed mm-hmm. that you should teach immigration. Just maybe the perspective you used was different. But I could, I didn't even have everyone in the classroom agreeing that you should try to include more LGBT history. So mm-hmm. that was the one that was, that was interesting to me the first time I went in. And I hadn't actually expected that to be the most controversial one. So I learned a lot myself well, when that happened. Well, you, you, uh, I want to touch on that more after the break. But when you when you see that, uh, who wins the battle most of the time? Are you convincing them to tackle the subject, or does that teacher, the ones that you've seen, does that educator say, nah, they, their attitude is still, I'm not going to approach that. I'm not going to deal with it. Do you want me to answer that now? Or? <laughs> you can answer it now. I would say most of the time I at least have gotten them to consider it. Okay. I think the best thing that we can do and for ourselves as educators is to be realistic. I think we should have lofty goals as educators, both in classrooms and museums, about what we want to teach, how we want to influence people. But I think that at the end of the day, you put that information out there and the students are going to either receive it the way you hope or they might not. And I think that... I did my job as an educator to at least uh, allow those students, those future teachers, to consider those subjects. At the end of the day, I'm not sure they totally came on board, but at least they had engaged with it and mm-hmm. they had debated it and considered it in a way that they wouldn't have before they were in my classroom. 
Okay, well, Dr. Fadette, I think we're doing pretty good on time. Um, I talk so much, I might be pushing us over, but I'm enjoying this conversation. I am going to take a small break now, and we were talking with Dr. Fadette um, from Appalachian State University. And when we return, I want to ask you about pushback or the political correctness, or what we call the PC culture. So we'll return in a short while here on History Notes. You are listening to History Notes, a production of the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. To discover and learn more about the discussion and our exhibits, visit the Greensboro History Museum, located at 130 Summit Avenue in Greensboro, or visit greensborohistory.org. That's greensborohistory.org. Now let's get back to History Notes. All right, welcome back to History Notes. This is Rodney Dawson, curator of education with the Greensboro History Museum. I am pleased to have with us Dr. Fredette. Um, history, she prepares teachers to teach history. She prepares the students to teach history at Appalachian State University. And we're having a great discussion with Professor Fredette. She's been published before in, in West Virginia History, a journal of regional studies, and she has a unique perspective on society and history and uh, right now we're mainly talking about teaching controversial subjects which is a class one of, among one of her classes that she teaches at App State. Um, quickly Dr. Fredette what are the other classes you teach? I teach American women's history, history of women and the law and I teach general education courses as well so I teach surveys to non-majors. Okay now you teach primarily undergraduate? Yes. Okay. Yes. And I have been on a couple of graduate committees, but I have not yet t- taught a graduate course. Understood. Well, you're producing a good product. You know, we talked uh, off mic before this started about my intern that I had here, who's an App State. Uh, she's a senior, I believe, Kara Old. And, uh, you know, I don't mind saying on air, she's one of the best interns I've ever had. And 20 plus year employees at the museum have said she, along with another one, were among the finest they've seen. So you're producing a good product that seems eager to learn and has an open mind and is looking for for ways to broaden the learning scope for our students. So uh, you're doing doing a good job over there, I can tell. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And I should also say that Kara is going to be joining our graduate program, so I should put in a plug that uh, we have just expanded and added a master's in history education here. So I am going to start teaching more graduate courses, and that's something that if anyone is interested, they should look into because it's going to be really great. Well, that's good news. That's good news. And uh, definitely, you said it here, so it'll be available for folks to, to listen to. And App State yeah. is a, a great school. And like you say, it's pretty country over there, too. Beautiful. <laughs> All right. Before we left, we alluded to talking about political correctness or the pushback you might receive. You know, now it's kind of uh, trendy to to not be politically correct. Uh, and so we know that there's some pushback to be PC or that PC culture um, what do you think is the best way to confront this pushback and effectively explain that using correct language is empowering to groups, especially uh, marginalized groups or groups that have been oppressed or uh, pushed aside, for lack of a better term? So uh, in my class, I begin the first in the second week, I think it is actually we talk. We do a whole week on trigger warnings, microaggressions and privilege. Mm hmm. And I've definitely had, even in that class, students react to almost the words themselves. They feel like the words are too jargony or PC. But when I sit down and I I kind of strip away the words, I say, okay, well, let's not think 
of the the term microaggression. Mm-hmm. But think about what we are talking about in this scenario. How would you feel as a person if someone said these things to you? If someone asked you constantly, where are you really from? Or something like that. Oh, you mm. speak great English or something like that. How would you feel? And so I think if we talk to people uh, and emphasize that we need to be empathetic and we need to be thoughtful instead of necessarily using the language of microaggressions and trigger warnings and privilege, then people are more likely to say, oh, I, I get this now. And so I had a number of students who, when they were reacting strongly, they were like, no, 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 that's too PC when I was using those words. As soon as I said, as a teacher, don't you want to create a safe space? Don't you want students to feel comfortable in your classroom? Mm-hmm. How can you make these students feel comfortable? Think right. about, from their perspective, why they might be reacting this way. Then people were more likely to be accepting um, of those ideas and concepts. And then I guess I think, as a historian, I always have to promote the history itself. But I think if we teach students, but also the ed- educators, future mm-hmm. teachers, about this history, if they fully understand the history of oppression and racism in this country, I think they're more likely to understand that this, the, the, this history, when you have a microaggression, it's part of this long pattern of racism and oppression. And so they're more likely to understand it and accept that this needs to be uh, treated more carefully and more thoughtfully if they know that long history. That's that's a good point. You know, you 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 said something. Where are you really from? You know, I don't. Mm-hmm. I'm a little sensitive to that, but I didn't see that as being um, uh, not politically correct until you just broke it down for me. Um, have you had an experience with a student? How did you learn that? What what did you read that made you pick out something that could be as I don't want to say mundane, but something is that doesn't scream out to me. I'm not being politically correct. How, how do you find those phrases? How, how does that come about? So there have actually been a lot of different um, projects at mm-hmm. universities in the past few years. Um, I think actually one of them is called the Microaggression Project, and it was from either Harvard or, or Columbia, I think. Okay. And they actually asked students to say, and what the microaggressions are that they have received. And they have students holding up like signs that say, here are things that I have been told. And I think that that is that where are you from question specifically is a perfect example of where students, when they hear it initially, they think, well, what's wrong with that question? But if they think about how would that be to receive that question if you were a person If you were a person whose identity or how you appear made you more likely to receive that question than someone else. Mm. We joke a lot. There's uh, the the question that students say is sometimes the problem is not where are you from, but where are you from from? Mm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So students will often say that they will get where are you from? And they'll say I'm from, you know, South Carolina. They'll be like, no, where are you really really from? from? And they're like, South Carolina. And so I think understanding that maybe to you, you get that question and someone just says, where are you from? And, you know, you, a student says, oh, I'm from Boone. And that's the end of the conversation. But a student who their whole life has had to then get like a second look or a follow-up question, mm-hmm. that question becomes a lot more loaded for them. 
Understood. So I think that's where the kind of unpacking of both a personal history and a social history becomes really important. All right. Well, you just gave a great example of that, but uh, are there other examples of changing difficult or challenging subjects into a learning opportunity? Uh, so I think really, um, I think every controversial issue in a way is um, is something that we can turn into a learning opportunity. I think that, you know, I think that as educators, for instance, I know I just said that that current events are what makes the thing mm-hmm. so controversial. But in a way, like I also said, I think that's what we should be engaging with. When students go out into the world outside of our classrooms, look, it would be great if they were all going to be historians, but they're not. <laughs> and they're going to engage with current events. And so we need to have them think about them thoughtfully and with that history that we've taught them. So I think we should, as educators, be watching the news every day to understand what students are learning from the news and then sitting down and thinking, as a teacher, as a teacher of history, how can I take what has just come up on the news? How can I contextualize it for my students in history so that they will have a deeper understanding of it? Okay. Um, So again, I mean, like recently, over the summer, there was obviously in here in North Carolina, the rally at which there was the send her back chant. Right. And I think that's a good example of a statement that a lot of people understood as as racist. And not everyone saw it that way. But if we can sit down as historians and say, well, let's think about the history of people saying things like send her back. And how can we turn that into a learning opportunity to allow students to see why people interpreted it one way and what that deeper history is? Again, it's like a it's a much darker <coughs> version of the where are you from? Right. And for, for context, uh, we're talking about what happened in July of 2019, where uh, you had the four congresswomen who had given some pushback to President Trump and um of the four, three, uh, two, they're all, what's the word I'm trying to say, doctor, for that? They all have ancestry that is from outside of the United States. But three of the four were born in the United States. The, the fourth was a naturalized citizen living here in the United States. And they, again, were given uh, pushback to the president. And he, you know, led a rally saying, if you don't like it here, you should go back to the country where you came from. Um, yeah. So just to give context, and this took place in Greenville, North Carolina, in July of 2019. Um, yeah, and so I think that's something I think we need to know. Students will be hearing these things. Mm-hmm. It's not like we're introducing that idea to them. They what? will hear that. We, Our job is to give them the history and contextualize it so okay. that they can think about the complete picture of it. Do you ever see it as being too hot? Like this, that subject was so hot at the time that maybe I need to wait a week or two before I teach this part? teach that particular uh if i'm dealing with uh uh, immigration or is it do you think okay it's so hot i need to teach it now maybe i need to move this lesson i usually i usually think it's so hot i need to teach it now okay (laughs) i um i i i can see i i think rather than saying it's so hot i need to wait a week i can see saying it's still developing i need Mm -hmm. to wait a week you know i need to see how this story is going to complete itself or I need to uh, see how the principal, you know, actors are going to react or or are they going to respond or are they going to change their stance? I can see, you know, waiting that. And certainly, 
I guess the other issue is I would never jump into the classroom. Like I would never watch, say, the send her back comment on the seven o'clock news in the morning because I watch the I watch the news every morning at seven Mm o'clock unless my children wake up early. Um, And I would never watch it at seven o'clock and walk into an 8 a.m. or an 830 class and say, so, guys, what do you think of this? You definitely, no matter what you do, even if you want to tackle it quickly, you need to make sure that you're fully prepared, that you you have read as much as you can about it, and then you've gone back and read the history that you want to include. So you should never just read something and an hour later discuss it. So I guess that that would be the other thing I would say. Okay, and then I'm going to ask you about this. I'm going I'm to I'm give you this word, then I'll ask you about it uh, later. Infotainment, and then we'll probably get you out of here with this question, but infotainment, that's my word. And you mentioned preparation. Um, you have your students. How would you like that student to prepare? They're coming in. They got the idea, I want to I want to teach history when I graduate, or I want to work in history. I want to be a museum curator. Uh, I want to deal with controversial, uh, controversial subjects. Uh, what preparation or involvement can students do beforehand? to better their experience as a history major. You mentioned, you know, you get up at 7 and watch the news every morning. Uh, So what can you do outside of a professional development? uh, What can you do uh, as an educator, as an aspiring educator wanting to teach history? And the reason I said the word, and I'm sorry, the reason I said the word infotainment, I watch a lot of news um, that aren't headed up by journalists, but are headed up by a lot of folks that are here to entertain me. So Mm -hmm. I can watch my MSNBCs, my Foxes, my CNNs or whatever, um, but how do I, how do I slice up the entertainment from the information? Does that make sense? It does make sense. I mean, and I have, I combined both of those things as well. Um, I grew up in the era of the daily show with John mm-hmm. Stewart. So I certainly understand that, but I think as a history student, we should know how to do our own research, right? Mm-hmm. We, any story we hear, whether it's in the New York Times or it's, you know, on a late night show or something like that, we should always, I think, think, all right, where did they get that information from? And okay. go and read more. <laughs> we should never walk into the classroom just saying, I heard this thing. Here it is. Uh, we should always be checking on it and we should always know how to check on it. I think we should be skilled fact checkers and researchers <laughs> as historians um, and so I, I think that's something that I would recommend to prepare ourselves for the classroom um, and for ed- being educators. I think the other thing that's, I guess, a little bit related to what you're saying that you can do to prepare yourself to be a teacher that's outside of the classroom and professional development is to be active on social media. Now, I know that's a loaded thing to say <laughs> in today's society. I think you need to be thoughtfully engaged in social media. Obviously, social media can be very toxic and problematic. But I think for me, I recently, within the last year, I guess, created a professional Twitter account that I purposefully made public. So it's not something that I'm using to post pictures of my kids or the food I eat or something like that. I am basically using it to exclusively engage with other educators. Um, And that has been something that's really helpful to me. It's helped me exchange articles and information. When a news story happens, I I can go there and I can see the other educators that I'm following 
putting their comments, but then also tweeting, I read this article that I think gives a great history here. For example, when the debates happened this summer and there was the moment between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden Mm -hmm. where they were debating his stance on busing and her experience of busing. There were a number of great articles that came out afterwards that said, what is the history of busing? Um, And so I think if you are tapped into a social media platform like that in a, as an educator trying to connect with other educators, they can quickly point you to great resources that will really quickly within an hour of hearing that story on the news, tell you, okay, here's the deeper history here is how I can learn more and check this and find out what's going on. All right. Um, I'm going to uh, end it with this right quick or try to. I, I teach because I love to learn. In addition to the ability to explore new topics at length when preparing for class, the questions students ask in class give me the opportunity to research a topic even further. Teaching, to me, means a lifetime of expanding both my knowledge and the knowledge of others about exciting new aspects of history. As a quote attributed to you, according to the uh, Appalachian uh, State University website, uh, and I think um, after reading it at the end, after hearing what you, how you responded to these questions and reading that, I think that does accurately encapsulate uh, who you are as an educator. So I thank you for that, and I thank you for uh, taking time out to uh, join us for this podcast on History Notes uh, here with the Greensboro History Museum. And um, uh, do want to know uh, if. if if Appala- if uh, the Mountaineers of Appalachian State were playing the Mountaineers of West Virginia, uh, whom would you root for? <laughs> I would have to admit I would root for the West Virginia Mountaineers. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I and... joke with my students all the time, we were the original Mountaineers. Okay. So. <laughs> so now suppose they played the Gators and they'd still be the Mountaineers? Which one, App State or West Virginia? WBO? I would root for West Virginia gotcha. too. Okay, <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty strong on West Virginia. All right, All right. we heard it here first. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you, Doctor, for that. I appreciate you thank for joining us. Thank you so us. much. And, this uh, was a lot of fun. Thank yeah, you. a lot of fun on our end too. And uh, thank you to Kara Old for producing this, and um, uh, just a wonderful student. And wishing her the best. Um, yeah, we have to get her back She's here to doing do one great of these. Thing. That's good. That's good. Uh, all right, thank you. And um, the, the edition of History Notes, and you've been here with Dr. Fredette from Appalachian State University and Rodney Dawson. And uh, join us next time. Thank you for listening to History Notes, a podcast from the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. The Education Department offers several resources for learners, both in and out of the classroom. Learn more at greensborohistory.org. Then select the Discover and Learn tab at the top of the homepage. You may schedule a tour, a field trip, or reserve an education trunk for your next lesson. Daily visitors can stop by the museum at 130 Summit Avenue in Greensboro. Admission is free. You've been listening to History Notes, where we are making history by talking history. Tune in next month for a new topic, new discussion, and new insight. This has been History Notes.